0: What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress.
1: I'd like you to stand up. We're going to read Ruth 4, 1 through 10, please. I'm not going to do a review because all the reviews are online. You can go listen to them in all your free time. All right. Ruth 4, 1 through 10. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. You can read with me, by the way, okay? So let's. Uh... So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malchon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that in the name of the dead may not be cut off from among us his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come. We come, God. We come to your table that you have prepared for us. We ask, God, that you would just speak to us. Lord, as the proclamation, the preaching of the word goes forth. God, I know and understand apart from you, nothing can happen. So, God, I pray for your people. That you would give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying that you, God, would move past arrogance and pride, strongholds, false ideologies, beliefs, and by your grace, would you allow your truth to reign in our lives? We humble ourselves now before you because your word declares you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so as we humble ourselves and we acknowledge our need for you. The fact that we are poor in spirit, may your grace be poured out in this place, so that we can receive what you have. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. And just so you know, uh, we have also have uh, Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy Barona, is here, who is planting a church um, in the Latino community. Uh, south of uh, uh, Southern and Belvedere there over by Coniston Middle School, and so I'm going to be speaking on the first six verses. He's going to close out seven through ten, and so I just kind of want to give you a heads up. Now, some of you wonder, why is there going to be two guys? Well, here's why. Um, We are uh, wanting to plant churches. Next week, me and Bill Rodriguez will be doing it, because Bill Rodriguez is going to be a planting a church as well. And so we're going through sermon prep together as a team, and we're learning together uh, because eventually these guys are going to be sent out to plant a church. And some of you here need to go with them. Let me say that again. Some of you here need to go with them. Why? I'm trying to get down to one service again. I don't want to get big. We want to stay at a certain size, and we want to expand and decre- increase the kingdom of God. We want to multiply out, okay? Now, my elders may be upset with me I said that, but you guys can bring that up at our next elders meeting. Forgive me. And, and forgive me, God. Uh, I, w- I want to do what you want to do, but that's just my heart. We'd like to see churches planted, okay? So that's going to be what's up. You're going to see this guy come up here. Jeremy, with glasses. capish? All right. Ruth 4.2. It says, now Boaz had gone to the gate. I want you to highlight gate. And he sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down and he took... 10 men of the elders. I want you to highlight, took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And so, again, not going to go into too much review, but basically, uh, Ruth. Um, it made herself known to Boaz that, hey, I'm available. But Boaz, because he was a man of integrity and submitted to the law of God, he said, hey, there is a Redeemer that's closer than I. I've got to allow him to go first. And so that's what's happening here in our story. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, again, go online. You can listen to everything about Ruth. It's on bowdownchurch.com. But they're at the gate. I want you to say, bring it to the gate. That's my point number one. Bring it to the gate. Say it again. Bring it to the gate. gate. Now, the gate represents a place that was an outdoor court. It's where judicial matters would happen, where people would resolve issues, and the elders would be there because they had earned the confidence and respect of the people, and so it was a kind of forum forum a public meeting, if you will, where things were established and transactions were made, and that's what's going on here. Jeremy's going to get into that. Listen to this. Don't turn there. Second Samuel 19, 8. It says, Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate and the people were all told behold the king is sitting in the gate and all the people came before the king so so kings would sit at the gate i don't know if you remember the story of absalom right david's son he would sit at the gate and he would decide things and actually kind of turn the people's heart away from king david and started a rebellion but the gate the gate the gate bring it to the gate bring it to the gate there's two things that I'm going to give you. How do you bring it to the gate? And the first one is this. You see where it says, he took, verse two. He took, he took. The first way we bring things to the gate is that we have to take initiative. Boaz took initiative. Boaz went to the gate. He sat there. He grabbed the redeemer, but then he also grabbed the 10 men. And so we have a responsibility individually to take initiative and bring people in. I would like you to turn to Acts chapter 9, please. How do I bring it to the gate? Point number one, you have to, you have to take initiative. You have to take initiative. A lot of times people come and visit churches, and again, if it's your first time here, welcome. But usually the mentality of an American consumer-driven society, right, and especially those that have had cell phones since they were 10, 11 years old, we're just used to having everything in the menu right here, right now. I can point, I can click, I can Google. I don't even need to ask my parents anything because I got it all right here, and they're usually wrong anyway. Amen? That me generation, that instant microwave generation, and so, no hate, buddy, no shade, right? No condemnation in Christ. But this is a reality that we walk in. This is a reality that we live in in our society, and we don't take initiative for things. And we think, man, that's that's somebody else's role. That's somebody else's job. So I go into a church, and I judge the preaching, I judge the worship. Did they make me feel welcomed? I hear people say, Man, I have a hard time getting connected at Bow Down. Like it's Bow Down's fault. Can I get a witness? What if it's you? (laughs) Hey, I'm new here, right? Or some who have been here. Hey, I've never seen you before. What's your name? Initiative. Can I take you out to coffee? Hey, let me introduce myself to you. I'm new here, all right? And so it's, it's initiative on both sides. And there's a lot of judgment at times and things because we live in a culture that's consumer-driven. I don't know if I like that guy's preaching. I don't think I'm ever gonna go back there. In fact, he came off kind of condemning in his first point. It's like he's trying to get out of his responsibility to create a culture that's welcoming, Yeah, quit saying that about me, by the way. (laughs) Listen. What if, and again, that guy's preaching's horrible. Oh, my gosh, I'm never going back. What if the Holy Spirit, God, what are you saying? I think his preaching's horrible. Oh, you want me to go at 7 a.m. and go into the prayer room and pray for him for an hour and a half? every Sunday before he preaches so that he can get better. Oh, okay. The me people, right? The, hey, pulling up a church like it's a Wendy's or something. What do you got for me and my family? And I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to give a little pushback, right? Because our church is getting too, you know, I'm trying to get down to one service, right? I'm joking. I'm playing. You're welcome here in this place. But hey, church, I want you to see something here. It's why I have you here in Acts chapter nine, because if Barnabas never took initiative, where would Paul be? The church was hating on the apostle Paul because they were afraid of the apostle Paul. And it took a Barnabas to take initiative to go and gather Paul and bring him into the flock. And where are the Barnabases here today? Can I get a witness? Well, that's not my job, Pastor. That's your job. Oh, oh! I got prayer partners up here for you. Acts nine twenty six. <laughs> See, the culture shapes us more than the Word of God, and therein lies the problem. Although my points will have verses with them, why? Because it's the Word of God. You don't need my opinion. Acts 9, 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, he tempted the Apostle Paul to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. I don't like how that guy looks. I don't like his nationality. I don't like his. I don't like his. I don't like his. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. He had a reputation. Paul had a reputation of killing Christians, so it's understandable. But, ooh, how many times do we judge people from their past? rather than where they are now. I got people judging me from what I did five years ago. I'm different. I've been changed from glory to glory. Hey, I'm different from last week. So get off me, bro. And I don't want to judge you for your path Anyway, Lord, help me. 27. But Barnabas, see that word? What did he do? He took him. He took initiative. Just like Boaz did. Right? Boaz, he took initiative to bring in the elders. The Apostle Paul took initiative to go gather Apostle Paul. The church, the church, the church, the bride of Christ. Christ is the head of the church, he's the senior pastor. And you are his body, and he's calling you to take initiative. He's calling you to love one another as he's loved you. How did he love you? Well, he is your redeemer. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. He is so steadfast in his love. He is passionate. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Come on, church. Are we going to be people that take initiative in the body of Christ? To gather. Second point. The elders were brought in. You see that in Ruth chapter 4? Now I want you to to keep, you're always going to come back to Ruth chapter 4. Forgive me, but that's the main text. But I want you to go to Galatians chapter 2, please. So we see Boaz at the gate in Ruth chapter 4. He sat down. He took the initiative, but then he grabbed 10 elders, 10 elders, 10 elders. There is, in this generation in America, we have a disrespect for authority. When we say submit to authority, triggers. It could be understandable, but nonetheless, triggers when those words are in the Bible. And when our life doesn't line up with the Bible, it's not our life that's right, it's the Bible that's right, and we've gotta bring our life to where the Bible is. Acts chapter 20 says that the Holy Spirit has placed elders over the church. We are an elder-run church here. Boaz was operating under the authority Submitting to the authority at the gate, and his transaction came in front of the elders. How much of your life comes before the elders? Now, are you your elders need to control what I do, what I say, what I eat? My no, nah, no, 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 no. It's not about that. Let me show you Galatians chapter two, verse one. Here's the Apostle Paul. He was probably pretty solid in Christ after 14 years, by the way. He had seen God do amazing things, by the way. He probably didn't need to do this, by the way. But look what he does. After 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus. And I went up because of the revelations and, and set it before them, set it before them. Remember, Ruth, she set herself before Boaz. She laid herself at Boaz's feet. Listen, when, when, when people were given in Acts chapter 2, they, lead, they, they, they set their money at the feet of the apostles and Paul was operating in humility, even though he was anointed by God, seeing all kinds of things happening, he still submitted to the leadership of the church Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation, and I set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order that to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. Wow. Paul never got to the place where he trusted in his knowledge and his education, where he said, I got my degree, I don't ever need to come under authority anymore. It's why our church is an elder run church. I don't make decisions and tell people what to do. The decisions go through the elder board. And I submit. And there's been many times I've been voted down, and I really don't like that, especially that prideful self that I have to remind myself is crucified and no longer lives. Why? Because we're elder led. We're elder led. Look at verse 9, same chapter. And when James and Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars perceived that the grace was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship. You might want to highlight that. Basically, they blessed Paul and Barnabas. They blessed Paul and Barnabas. They'd already been doing ministry for 14 years. "Hey bro, I'm an expert. I got my doctorate in ying 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 ying." They still submitted And the leadership blessed what they were doing. What humility. What an understanding for the need for godly counsel. And how many of us in the church flippantly just operate our lives. It's why we at the church here, we will not marry you unless you go through premarital counseling. Not because we're trying to control you, but because when you're all in the kissy-kissy makeout stage... You're not thinking about parenting, budgeting. Can I get a witness, somebody? (laughs) And by the way, you shouldn't be making out. That's another thing we hold you accountable on as well. What are your boundaries? And ladies, if a dude don't have boundaries that he lays out before you, he ain't ready. Tell him to come see me. This is why you need leadership in your life. That's why I need leadership in my life. That's why we submit to one another in love. You're always going to be under authority. And listen, I understand a lot of people have hurt in their life, and they avoid accountability. They don't bring things to the elders. They will not stay plugged in at a church. They'll hop from place to place because it's an avoidance of, of accountability and a fear of authority sometimes it's coming from our fathers who cared more about work than they cared about you. Or maybe the dad left the family and abandoned the family. So I'm never going to, you know, when I started working at Urban Youth Impact, I said, I'm never going to submit to another man again. Do you know why? Because I'd been hurt by authority. I came in like a wounded duck. And God had to show me No, 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 no. Authority is part of my kingdom. Some of us have experienced church hurt, and I've experienced church hurt as well. And you know what? Listen, I've taken part in church hurt, I've hurt people, I've gotten into my flesh. I've moved in a wrong way. First service, I apologize to Jeremy, who's going to be speaking to you. Yesterday, I was talking to him, and I was coming at him in a wrong way, and the wrong time, and the bottom line is I was wrong. I was wrong, and I had to ask him to forgive me this morning. My wife, last night, before we went to bed, I said something really dumb. I apologize, because we don't let the sun go down on our anger, but again, I'm publicly shaming myself right now because I'm getting out of that doghouse today. Hallelujah. See so you're like, this guy's like really vulnerable. No, dude, I'm, I'm looking forward to this afternoon, bros. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so um, here's the third reason why we avoid accountability. It's because of pride. Because of pride. I want you to turn here. Proverbs 18.1. Young people, listen, and and singles, I see a lot of singles up in the house today. Listen, you know a lot about the dude by the people he hangs with. You know a lot about the girl by the people they hang with. And does a person shy away from accountability? Does they shy away from community? Do they stay outside? Now, there may be reasons they do, but look at this right here, Proverbs 18. One, who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Woo! Sorry to do the Ric Flair right there, but it's just like, man, when I have a tendency to avoid accountability and come in, it's because I seek my own desire and I'm breaking out against all sound counsel. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to let anybody in. I'm good. It's me and Jesus. And by the way, that's completely wrong. It's understandable. It's understandable. If some of these things are hitting you, by the way, this is why we have prayer partners at the end, so you can come get prayer. Because God wants to heal those hurts. And I want you to flip over to Proverbs 15, please. It says, without counsel, plans fail. But with many adversaries, they succeed. So the fourth reason why people don't, Bring things to authority and seek counsel from elders is because of just foolishness by not obeying the word of God. Hey, hey, listen, I feel like God's leading me to do this. What do you think? And the foolishness of just living on your own, isolated, and not coming under the authority that that God's granted in the body of Christ. And so. If there is anything stopping you from coming under authority, please pray about that. Because you see, Boaz, he submitted to the authority that was there. And we are told in Hebrews to submit to your leaders, to obey them. Let their service to you not be a burden for them, but let it be a joy because they are ta- they're going to have to take an account for your soul. In 1 Timothy 5, it says, Elder, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, but not for selfish gain, but under compulsion. Not under compulsion or selfish gain, but, but, but then it says this, You who are younger... 1 Peter 5, submit to the elders. Submit to your leaders. And again, don't let society or your past pollute the beauty in that. I need to submit to people. And it's dangerous when I isolate myself, when I don't seek counsel. And so guys, we want to bring our life to the gate. We want to bring our life to the gate. And listen, that Paul and Barnabas relationship is so important. Some of you keep praying for Apostle Paul, like a Timothy Paul, like a Paul would pour into me, a Paul would disciple me, a Paul would adopt me. Listen, I never got my Pauls until I linked up with my Barnabas and Paul, meaning peer-to-peer relationship. It was Andy, it was James, and it was myself. And we met every Thursday night as young single men. We didn't have anybody pouring into us but we read the Bible together, we held each other accountable, and every time we fell with our struggles, we would pray for one another, but there was accountability on a weekly basis where there was transparency and intimacy in our relationship, and so you have to, Christian, Christian, listen, you have to have a Paul and Barnabas relationship, and when you're faithful doing that, guess what? I bet you, I bet you, I don't want to bet, right, it's not fantasy football, um, the Pauls will come into your life because you've been faithful. With the little God is going to give you more. Now, some of you have already failed your New Year's resolution. Will, if you can put that slide up, and the reason why you failed—this was part of my New Year's res- New, uh, New Year's message or whatever—it's because of number five. Some of you failed because of that, because you never said, hey, this is what I feel like God called me to do this year. Here's my group of people I'm going to submit it to, and will you pray for me and hold me accountable every single week? And you've already failed because you never brought community in. And listen, that can't happen here. It didn't happen with Boaz. All right, verse 3, Ruth chapter 4, then he said to the Redeemer, How many of us had said yes before praying about it? Don't do that. I do that all the time. Don't do that. I got to stop. God, save me from myself. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Don't say yes too quick. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. And I want you to highlight Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, why didn't he just say Ruth? Why did he have to say the Moabite? That's the question that's before us. Will, if you can put that slide up, this is review for you. Uh, I think we did this in chapter two, not that slide, but the other one. Um, The Moabites were looked at as a certain way uh, and the Israelites viewed them as a certain way and this is the list that we already went over and went through. So, look at how he responds. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. And you want to highlight that, lest I repair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself for I cannot redeem it. So, This guy is saying, I'm all about my inheritance once he hears the word Moab. Now, he said yes when it was just the land, but now you got the Moabite. Now, we don't know for sure, but we can kind of make some assumptions based on history. It could be, it could be that he might have had a bad relationship with his wife and having another girl in the mix wouldn't have helped out. So that would be grace for him, right? Maybe that's why he didn't want to do it. But this is the history of the Moabites. And everybody in here has been guilty of looking at a people group and judging them collectively. Everybody. Everybody's trafficked in that. Don't beat yourself up but society's training you to traffic like that. Collectiveism, tribalism, white people think like this, Hispanic people think like this, black people think like this, and all of a sudden these group ideologies begin to trickle in, and just maybe this guy was saying she's a Moabite? Oh, I don't know if I want that. Here's what I want to submit to you. The Jewish nation has suffered injustices for history, for for a lot of our history. And when I was in the Holocaust Museum in Israel, I saw something that I never saw because it wasn't in our history books. That there was a group fleeing Nazi uh, oppression in Europe and the United States of America turned the Jews away on the boat, and sent them away. Now, for the Jewish person, and by the way, do we forgive America? Do we still hold that against them? Again, your danger, you're in the danger of putting all people groups in there, right? We're in danger when we say, hey, you know, white people, they don't listen, or we ga- they gaslight us, or, you know, I... We get in danger when we start to use that kind of language and the world's teaching us to do it and I'm saying, church, stop it. This guy missed out on Ruth. Ruth was obedient to the law. She was a servant. She was not living for herself. She was living for her mother-in-law. She was willing to submit and come underneath Boaz's leadership. I mean, this was a bad chick. But potentially because of racial discrimination... Homeboy missed out. We can't have that here. And we cannot be people, by the way. So if we're using the Jewish analogy. I want you to turn to, to John thirteen two. John thirteen two. Jeremy, come on up, man. We gotta we gotta pray for Jeremy. Pastor Chris went over. I got issues. Jeremy, <laughs> I apologize to you again, man. I just, I kept preaching and I'd look, I, I, I forget about that stinking clock up there. I wish I was in China where we'd, we'd go four, four or five hours, no breaks, anyway. <laughs> hey, 13 two. Judas had already entered, Satan had already entered the heart of Judas to betray him. What did Jesus do? He washed his feet. Context. Peter denied Christ three times. What did Jesus do? Did he wait for Peter to apologize? Did he wait? I'm not going to them. They need to come to me and repent. No, 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 no. We follow our king where we go, even if somebody has wronged us. This is big, guys. That Moabite nation, no matter what they have done, I want to go to them anyway and be a reconciler, be a redeemer. Because if Jesus, Jesus could wash the feet of Judas, even knowing that this guy's going to sell me out, I want to have that same kind of heart, that same kind of spirit, because that will never have reconciliation if those who are hurt think they got to come to me. No, you know they hurt you. You go to them. You go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. That's not Christ. That's the world. If you have issues with somebody, you go to them. That's what Jesus did with Judas, washing his feet. That's what Jesus did with Peter. Come on up, Jeremy. Or come on over, Jeremy.
0: Thank you, Liz. Uh, Thank you. It's it's all good. Can we give it up for Pastor Chris one time? Always want to honor... Pastor of the house, it's always an honor to to be able to preach at Bow Down Church. And just just to tie a bow um, on this passage, for the next few minutes, I want to talk about redemption, redemption. And Pastor Chris, um, one of the things that he said throughout his sermon is that um, I'm actually a church planter on the south side um, of West Palm Beach. And um, for those of you who don't know, church planting simply means starting a new church. And it's a very, very, very difficult task um, as a matter of fact, um, when I was in Chicago, I lived in Chicago for 14 years. I grew up in Florida, went to Chicago for 14 years. I'm 33. I know I look like Pastor Chris's little, little brother, um, but I'm 33. Um, and I was in Chicago for about 14 years. Eight of those years, um, I was part of a church plant. I ended up becoming a pastor um, in that church plant. I was discipled by the lead pastor. And I just remember us um, just going through the nitty gritty of church planting. We're wondering, man, our, our God, are you doing anything? And, and there, was a, there was a couple there. Uh, Man, that they uh, they were I think they were dating at the time and they came across um, the church plant that that we were planting. It was called the Brook Chicago. I think it was through an Instagram post, but they lived in the neighborhood. And the interesting thing about that story is that we were like, Lord, how are you going to do this? But God was already working on this couple because they were looking for God just to change their lives. Lo and behold, through an Instagram post, they end up getting connected to the church plant. They end up getting saved. And right before I I, I left from Chicago, I think I remember telling this, the the gentleman, because they ended up getting married. I, I remember telling him like, yo, it's so crazy. How God took you from being an unbeliever to becoming a believer, and now you are a leader in our church, leading a Bible study, hosting people in your crib. Man, and that just reminded me that God is a redeemer. And, and the reason why I'm saying this is because um, I got a text uh, a few days ago um, from this couple. They're like, yo, we're going to be in Florida and we're going to come see you. And they're here today. Um, I just want to give them a quick shout out, David and, and Rachel. It encourages me as I'm church planting all over again on the south side. And I'm so encouraged to see them because it's, it's a reminder, it's a symbol in my life that God redeems people and restores family and as we look at this in our text today I want to talk about redemption but specifically our text tells us what is redemption what it means and why is it necessary and if I could get the time clock going just so I don't go over myself um so what what is redemption what it means and why is it necessary So first, let's talk about the what. What is redemption? So we pick up in our story in verse seven and eight. It says, now this was the custom in in former times in Israel concerning redeeming. Can you say redeeming? What does redemption entail in the Bible? In, In this context, redemption meant that someone was released from bondage through outside help. And one of the ways that that happened was through what is called a kinsman redeemer or a relative. Uh, Ruth was a widow and so was Naomi. And the way that redeemers worked in that society is in order to promote or perpetuate the family line, a relative would have to redeem the person, acquire the, the possessions, and then keep the family estate and the family name alive. And this was a command of God from Leviticus chapter 25, verses 6 and 7. But the interesting thing about this is anytime this would happen in real time in the Old Testament, it was an illustration of how God redeemed his people collectively from Egypt because they were slaves. So anytime a man like Boaz was doing took this step, it was telling the people, hey, this is the way that God redeemed us as a people group when we were in bondage and slaves in Israel. You follow me? So redemption was a picture. That's what redemption is. It means to acquire something that was in bondage or someone that was in bondage, someone that was lost or somebody that was vulnerable and weakened. And it was a picture. But as we continue to read the text... We notice that there's a transaction that takes place and it sounds a little bit funny. If you read um, and we're going to look at the meaning was what does it mean? So we talked about what it is, but what does it mean? What does redemption mean in this context? Verse seven and eight. um, It continues on. It says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. And here it is. The one drew off his sandal, it's kind of funny, and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting or certifying or authorizing in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. A sandal in this context symbolized the ability for one to walk on land freely because they owned it. So by this man giving his sandal to Boaz, he was saying, hey, this land from Elimelech and, and the people that come with it is yours now. You are the owner of these things. You could take that and hence that illustration. You could walk on it freely. And as I thought about this, I thought about. The The fact that oftentimes we go through transactions like that, too, you ever signed over the title of a car. The moment you you signed over that car, it certifies that the other person can own that car and do whatever it like, whatever they like. Many mechanics do this, they get cars, acquire them that are broken down, and then they restore it, right? In the same way, not that people are objects, but the purpose of Boaz doing this was so that this family line can be restored. So we talked about what redemption is. We talked about the significance behind that illustration. But as we think about it going forward, we need to consider why did Boaz do this? Why did Boaz do this? And the text, in the remaining text, it implies two reasons. The first reason was because it was to keep the family estate um, with it, in, in it not being lost. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malone. I don't know if I'm saying that right but that's the way I hear it in my head Malone that's 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 a street name I guess if I got that wrong Here Boaz is saying all that belonged to them is now mine namely the estate why is this important because God promised the Jewish people that they would have a land and for that land to be lost would be Going contrary to what God promised. Because God, even if people messed up, wanted them to enjoy that land and develop it. God gave them that gift. So God redeemed this situation through Boaz by keeping the land in the family so that land wouldn't be cut off. But the second reason, second reason why this took place was to redeem the family name. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malone, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name, here it is again, of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses today. Whose name is threatened to be cut off? It's this man, Elimelech, who left the promised land when he shouldn't have. He went to Moab and it ended his life. His children, they did similar things. They sinned against God and and they took wives that they shouldn't have and they paid the price for it. And now we have these widows. So Elimelech, in an effort to preserve his name, he actually almost lost it. Hmm. Boaz, on the other hand, followed God's word and preserved Elimelech's name. Do you see God's grace in this? That even when we mess up, even when we mess up, God still can preserve our name and our family's name if it's under his authority. This is important. Because in reinstating the land in the name was reinstating God's promise for this clan that was part of God's collective people. Hmm. And You might say that's a great story, but what does that have to do with us today? And in conclusion, i like to tell you just an illustration from my own life. My dad grew up in New York in a tough town. And, you know, sometimes he had a scrap, but that means he had a fight sometimes. And one day he noticed his little brother at the playground and he was at the playground and he saw his little brother cowering away and he was just kind of in a corner by himself. Scared, almost paralyzed. So he says, hey, 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 Mario, what's up, man? What's what's going on? Why? Why are you here? And you know he's like trying to front on him or trying to lie to him. He's like, man, I'm good, I'm good. And then when it ends up happening, he's like, he's like, no, man, what's 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 really happening? He says, man, I'm getting bullied by those three triplets over there. There's been a pattern of that happening. So my dad mustered up the courage and he went up to to uh, these triplets and he was like, yo, stop messing with my brother. Long story short, not that I condone fighting. He stood up for his brother and he, you know, began to, to get into a little squabble. And my dad tells me the story. He's like, Man, bro, I lost so bad. They drew me through the mud. It was like my, it was literally like his final day in middle school. He's like, Man, I was bloody. I had to clean myself up. And then he said this he said this. He said, Hey, you know what's crazy, Jeremy? I lost that fight, but they never messed with my brother ever again. Mm. See, what my dad was saying was, he paid the price. He lost, yet his brother gained to play on the playground. So this is what I want to tell you today. In this life, we go through losses. Many times we put ourselves in situations like Elimelech that we shouldn't put ourselves in, and we face the consequences, and we need a redeemer. And God sees our plight. And he sees our condition and he has compassion over us. And it doesn't matter what you have done, even if it was two minutes ago at the sound of my voice, I just want you to know that God is still in the business of redeeming. And the same way that God redeemed Elimelech's family through Boaz is the same way that God redeems today. How does he do it? He does it through a man named Jesus Christ who came from this lineage see all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins before believing in Jesus but see when we believe in Jesus what this means is that we believe that we are sinners that we have offended a holy God that we have made mistakes that we have destroyed our lives because we've chosen to be our own lords and we deserve God's punishment but Jesus He went to a cross and he died on that cross and he took the penalty of our sin. And the moment that you believe is the moment that his righteousness is transferred to you even though you don't deserve it like Elimelech. And then your unrighteousness is paid for at the cross. Family, do you hear me? And then on the third day, he resurrected from the grave And he said, it is finished. You no longer need to live in bondage to sin, Satan. You no longer have to live that way. You believe in me. You have eternal life. And now your life can be a foretaste of what is to come. Family, that's redemption. So today, no matter what you've done, God has provided a kinsman redeemer for us. And his name is Jesus. I don't care if it's the first time you believe in him. Maybe you believe in him and you fall into a rut. Today is the day that God wants to redeem your situation step by step. And the first step is turning away from being your own Lord. Believing in what Jesus did. Following him. And watching him restore your life moment by moment so that we could be free to play in God's playground. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus died for our sins. Lord, I'm a big sinner. And I thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed us through Jesus. If there's anybody here in this house that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here today, I just want to pause my my prayer just to say that if you're here today and you want to say, Jesus, I I want you to be Lord of my life, change my life little by little. After I'm done with this prayer, I want you to come to the front and a prayer counselor will pray for you. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would soften hearts so that they would come up and learn what it means to follow Jesus. Father, and I pray for my brothers and sisters who do know you. Lord, I pray that we would run back to Jesus and live into that redemption so that we can see your kingdom plan in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.